going to spend a few minutes having a discussion about names. We're going to talk about names this morning. Um, this is one of those things that I, I really enjoy thinking about names and naming and, and the meaning of names. Um, when, when Tim and I got married, I, I took my maiden name and I tossed out my middle name and put my maiden name in the middle because it has such a deep meaning for me. Um, Clark in the original Scottish comes from clerk or cleric. That's how long my family have been Scottish Presbyterian ministers. Like that's our name. (laughs) They're just like, yeah, we'll just call them that. Um, so that's like an important part of my identity to me. Um, when Tim and I named our children, we thought very deeply about it. Gloria is named for her great grandmothers, Gloria and Jane, and that's where her name Gloria Jane came from. And, um, Levi, we felt very strongly before he was born that God said, you're going to have a son and name him Levi. Um, and the name means attached and ironically, or maybe fittingly, uh, in the way that God does things, Um, you know, when we had troubles in the pregnancy with him, it was because my body had literally tied him to itself in ways that it shouldn't have. Um, and so it was one of those, oh, God still names people (laughs) today. Um, and names have deep meaning. Um, so, uh, my question to you all this morning, who can you think of in the Bible that was given a name by God? Pop quiz. Jesus, that should be the most obvious. Someone, what did I hear? Another one over here. That is a name change. Yes. So God gives names directly and also changes them. Uh, Jacob's name is changed to Israel in the Old Testament. Yeah. John the Baptist, Abram to Abraham. How about Sarah? Yeah. Sarai to Sarah. Any others? You're hitting all the Old Testament ones. Um, yeah. Uh, how about Adam? There was no one there to name him. <laughs> that came from God. <laughs> um, Isaac and Ishmael, both of Abraham's sons, are given names by God before they are born. Yes. Saul to Paul. There's only one other New Testament uh, no, I take that back. Two New Testament ones, one cha- name change and one given name that I have on my list that you all haven't gotten yet. And there's Hosea, the prophet's children are all named, and their names have something to do with the prophecies that Hosea is given to deliver. Um, also, you all have forgot Meher Shalal Hashbaz. Shame on you. <laughs> that is Isaiah, the prophet's son, uh, whose name means to speed the spoil, he hasteneth the prey, which really doesn't clear things up a whole lot. Uh, but that is one that God gives the name to the child. How about John the Baptist? I don't know that I heard that one. Someone may have shouted it out, but I didn't hear it. Um, and then uh, Simon is given the name Peter by Jesus. And each time that God gives someone a name or changes someone's name, it's very symbolic. It has a lot of deep meaning behind it. Um, you know, Abram's name is changed in order to help um, show an outward sign of the covenant that God is making with him. Saul's name is changed to Paul because there's this dramatic change in his life. And that is the mark of his new life beginning. 
Um, and, you know, the prophets, Isaiah and Hosea, they're given names for their children that have to do with the prophecies that they're delivering to Israel. They're naming their children according to the times that are around them. Um, I'm going to be um, asking some of you if you've been still paying attention to your star words from Epiphany. Um, because thinking about what it is that God calls us, what it is that our names are from God, not necessarily our given names, the ones on our birth certificates and driver's licenses, um, and not the wor- names the world gives us, right? Because we collect names as we move about in the world, and they're not always good names. Um, in fact, more often they are names that we need to do away with and get rid of. Um, and thinking about our star words can be ways of thinking what God calls us. What is our real name? What are the real identities that we should be taking on? So I encourage you to start thinking in that direction. Um, there are some journal pages that you could fill in to your star word journals that I've put in the back. If you've been using those, you can grab one um, that are specific to this topic, and you can drop those in there. Um, so that is our direction this morning, and I just encourage you to be thinking about that as we go on with our time together this morning. Let us pray. Almighty God, through your only Son, you overcame death and opened to us the light of eternity. Enlighten our minds and kindle our hearts with the presence of your Spirit, that we may hear your words of comfort and challenge in the reading of the Scriptures. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. The first reading today, the psalm reading, is going to be Psalm 30. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, and you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment. And his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountains stand strong. You hid your face. I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Today's gospel reading is from Acts 9, 1 through 20. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, 
men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord sent, said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go. For he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. This is the word of the Lord. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our salvation. Surely this morning's passage from Acts is one of the most dramatic stories we find in Scripture, especially in the New Testament. Saul was breathing out murderous threats against Christians he wasn't just talking down about them. His hatred for them was what he lived and breathed. And this isn't the first appearance of this despicable character either. Earlier in Acts, we're told of a young man named Stephen. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. After giving a great, very long sermon proclaiming the gospel, an angry mob cast him out of the city and stoned him, and the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. 
Now when we fast forward a couple chapters to Acts 9, Saul has sought permission to arrest any and all Christians he can find and take them as prisoners. This is the sort of man who struck fear into the hearts of the developing Christian community. This is a man who wanted nothing more than to prove to the new sect of Jesus followers that they were nothing more than a minor problem to be dealt with. This is a man who, in the eyes of that Christian community, was to be feared and for whom there was no hope of redemption. And yet, God chose him. God chose Saul. Saul, the Christian killer, the man who persecuted those who dared to proclaim that Jesus was the living Messiah and not just a dead teacher, became in that moment... Paul, the great teacher and church leader to whom much of our scripture is attributed. Even Saul was not beyond hope. Hear this passage from John, chapter 21, verses 1 through 19. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered to him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat dragging the net full of fish for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, Son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This was said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. 
And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Paul and Peter make an interesting contrast in these two passages. Paul is literally knocked off his donkey by a blazing light from heaven and is changed from one extreme to another almost immediately. Peter, on the other hand, spent years physically following Jesus, watching his sermons, his miracles firsthand, and he still struggled to get the point after the resurrection. But Peter, like Paul, is a cornerstone of the church that springs up after Jesus' ascension. He, too, is a key player in the development of the church. It's just that the whole process for Peter is a far slower one. Our passage from John, while less dramatic than the passage from Acts, is also a key moment in the call of one of the founders of the early Christian church. It's sort of an aha moment for Peter. There are several words in Greek that are generally translated to the same English word, love, because we really just have one word in English that covers all sorts of love. But in Greek, these words mean different things. There is eros love, which is romantic love. There is phileo love, which is friendship or brotherly affection. And there is agape, unconditional, unrestrained, full-on, always, no-holds-barred love. If we spoke Greek here in the United States, my husband would often use the word eros when talking about his love for me. My best friend would probably use the word phileo when talking about her love for me. God's love... That's agape. Agape is love with no boundaries or restraints. It's unstoppable. In this question and answer series between Jesus and Peter, there are two types of love referred to. Phileo and agape. At first, Jesus asks Peter if he loves him with agape. Do you love me unconditionally with all that you are, Peter? And Peter answers by using the other word, phileo. Yes, you know I am your friend. Jesus asks, but Peter, do you love me with all that you are no matter what happens? Using agape. And Peter repeats himself using the other word again. Yes, you are my friend and brother. And Jesus, I imagine with a sigh, finally asks, Peter, Do you love me like a brother? And uses the same word that Peter has been using. And that is when Peter realizes that he and Jesus are talking about two different things. And he says, yes, I do. It's an eye-opener for Peter. He realizes in that moment that Jesus is asking for more than he's been giving. God does not ask for our affection Jesus does not ask us to simply be on friendly terms with him. When we talk about loving God and loving neighbor like Jesus calls us to, it is not phileo love, brotherly love, friendly love that we talk about. It is agape. It is the sort of wholehearted passion that we see Paul launch into after his dramatic experience on the road to Damascus. It is a love that for some people seems to come easy and others take a longer time to settle into it. If you struggle to find passion and energy regarding the mission of the church, perhaps you, like Peter, are showing God phileo love 
and not agape. Paul's transformation is incredible. He launches into things immediately because he's been so seized and shaken by God. But few of us, I fear, feel like Paul did. Many would like to have a Damascus Road moment so that we could know we're on the right track with our faith or so that we might be fed or have some sort of lightning bolt revelation. It seems clearer that way. But that is not the only way God speaks. In fact, more often, God speaks less dramatically and over years like Jesus did with Peter. Not all transformations are so drastic as Saul's transformation to Paul. But that doesn't make Peter's transformation and call less important. Jesus still spent the time needed to help Peter realize who he was meant to be. And Peter was also renamed by God. We can look back to earlier in the Gospel of John and see that Peter was known as Simon before he met Jesus. John 1.42 says, Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which we translate as Peter. Peter just took a little longer to grow into his new name than Paul did. We're all given a legal name at birth or somewhere in the vicinity of our birth. Usually our parents chose that name either because it's a family name or they liked the meaning or the sound of it. Some parents just pick names they like. Uh, My name comes from the Greek word charis, which is used in the New Testament to refer to God's grace. That's why it has the CH at the beginning, because in Greek it starts with a letter we don't have in English, and so that's the closest we can come. And while I have a deep attachment to the meaning of my name, easy to spell and read names were important to me in the naming of my own children, because my name gets screwed up all the time. (laughs) Whatever our birth name is, though, as we grow, the world around us renames us. We're still called Carissa or Gloria or Levi, but we also become things like smart or funny or easygoing. I've collected names like Intense and Energizer Bunny. Not all of the names that the world gives us, though, are accurate, and not all of them are good or healthy. Some people are renamed Hopeless Goofball or Dumb or No Good or Clumsy or Lazy There are all sorts of guilt and shame-inducing names that the world gives to us as our lives move on. Every one of us have names, good and bad, that the world has given us, that we have collected and accepted throughout our lives. These names change how we feel about ourselves. They change how we act around others. They influence what we do with our lives and how we participate in our families and our churches. They color how we believe God and others see us. We often fail to realize that we even call ourselves names like loser or less than or guilty. For some reason, it's often easier for us to believe and receive and accept the negative names and labels than it is to accept the positive ones. Sometimes it seems easier to just remain Saul the Christian killer or Simon the nobody fisherman than to become Paul the Apostle or Peter the father of the church. God has named each and every one of you. 
That doesn't mean you have to change your legal name, but there is something so important about how we name ourselves, how we identify ourselves, and how we let the world name us, and how we grow into the name that God gives us. What we say today as we celebrate communion together as a community is that being here means that we are free from the old names. We are renamed by God, the same God who renamed Saul the Christian killer and Simon the boring old fisherman. Jesus grabbed a hold of their lives and renamed them. That is the Easter story, my friends. That is what new life means. Sometimes when we are desperate to hear God speaking to us, we're waiting for that blinding light. We miss what God is saying because we are listening for the wrong name to be called. Or we're waiting for the blinding light, like Saul, when God is standing right next to us and talking and we're totally missing the point like Peter did. We hear God calling us by our God-given name and assume that God is talking to someone else because we're so used to the rotten, dishonest names that the world has given us. And I hope that you haven't all forgotten about your star words yet. You see, that sort of meditation and self-reflection helps us to learn our God-given names. Perhaps you haven't gotten very far in your reflection on that word and you are feeling frustrated. Perhaps God has completely blown your mind with it already here in May. Either way, I encourage you to reflect this week on what that word has to do with your unhealthy world-given names and what that word has to do with your real God-given name. I even have new journal pages in the back that you can add to your journal if you don't know where to get started on that. You might have heard your God-given name in that time and been startled or terrified by it. You might not have found it yet. You might be in the process of growing into it more and more each day, slowly and cautiously. Some people hear their names early in life. Some don't hear them until much later. But we all spend a lifetime growing into it. We hear our names in the pages of scripture. What stories and people in those pages light something up inside of you? We hear our names in the gifts, talents, and passions that we have. What are you truly good at and what do you love to do? We hear our names in the affirmations we receive from others. Ask around, what does your church family see in you? We hear our names as a deep down stirring inside of our souls, a feeling of excitement and dread that God might just be calling us to something that's going to be hard and uncomfortable, but fulfilling and exciting all the same. We cannot hear God calling unless we're willing to let go of our world-given names and labels so that we can become who God created us to be. It does not matter what the world has named you because God has a special name for you. Whether you are blinded by a heavenly light and knocked onto the ground by a revelation or you are in a process of long, slow transformation, God has a name for you. Listen, God is calling your name. Amen.